the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, February 13th, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 332 and 333. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. They'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the first of our two big Tuesday editions of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here as well. We've got a lot of breaking news. The Senate advances their $95 billion supplemental aid package. We'll bring you the latest. The Dems rally around Joe Biden after his damning report from the Robert Hurlitt special counsel. We'll check in there as well. We'll also check in on the latest on Donald Trump's legal cases and the enormous rally he held down in South Carolina over the course of the weekend. As always, we've got a great slate of guests coming in here today. Retired U.S. Army Colonel Doug McGregor will be joining us. Former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, will be here as well. Newsmax contributor, great friend of the show, Brian Lyle, will be joining us a little bit later in the show. And congressional candidates, Abe Hamaday and Elizabeth Hageline will be back on the show, giving us the latest on everything they've got going on with all of their campaigns. But before we get into any of our headlines, let's take it over to the state of Nevada and change the way you consume your news. Monkey, this is not Nam, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior! All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started today, we're out in the great state of Nevada with former chief of staff to the DOD, special assistant to President Trump, federal prosecutor, counterterrorism expert, PAPS enthusiast. Mr. Cash Patel, (laughs) welcome back to the show. What's up, guys? How you doing? Well, it's always better when you're here, and no better way to get our first edition of two all-new podcasts started today than with you, and we've got a bunch of oh. stuff to talk about. Cash, I think, uh, I guess as a former federal prosecutor, someone who knows Rod Rosenstein and, and Robert Hur, probably on a little bit more of a personal basis than you uh, would like to feel comfortable with, you saw this report <laughs> come out last week. Uh, about Joe Biden and his classified documents. Obviously, there were crimes committed that was admitted, but it was also brought to light for the American people. And and now goes outside of memes is the fact that Joe Biden is not mentally fit to be able to serve trial. Therefore, well, never mind. We'll just let him continue being the president of the United States. I, I know you probably felt a little bit of relief knowing that you've been right the entire time, Cash, when it comes to how they investigated Joe Biden, what they were able to tell the American public. But when you saw the fact that, you know, Democrats were going to do what they always do best, and that's just circle the wagon and say, don't worry about that. Everything's fine over the course of and throughout the weekend. How did that uh, kind of resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, Robert Hur is Rod Rosenstein's protege. So it's no uh, surprise that he bent the knee to the deep state and he became a government gangster and corrupted the Department of Justice and scarily revealed to the world, which we all knew, but put it on a blast microphone, that Joe Biden is incompetent to defend this nation and be our commander in chief. So thanks for raising that to our enemies who are already kicking our ass in the southern border and Iran and CCP and everywhere else. But now they're going to go double tap it. And the two-tier system of justice, of course, continues because he gave Joe Biden the Hillary Clinton treatment. You're guilty, but we're going to make up a fiction, uh, and we're just not going to charge you. There is no time when I was a prosecutor where I said, 
oh, well, you know, the bank robber returned the money from the bank robbery, so we're not going to charge him. You know, we're going to get, it's okay. And also, he's really unfit. So, you know, it's, it's tough in a jury in settings, so we're not going to go there. If the facts meet the law, you charge. And this guy created one of the most, the largest injustice in DOJ history right after James Comey and Hillary Clinton. But he also gave the Democrats what, he, what they wanted, who he's partnering with. And that's an off-ramp for Joe Biden to get out of the presidency. Now, when you look at the way that this is shaping up, and and we're not people who buy into the whole Michelle Obama thing. I always, you know, someone who follows politics as, as much as anybody else, Cash, I mean, you lived it. We just commentate on it. But the fact of the matter is, I, I watch this, and I'm air quoting now, woman for eight years be absolutely <laughs> disgusted with every single thing related to her husband's job. I don't see her coming in and being the savior, potentially burning her candidacy and, and potential future candidacies, getting an L to Donald Trump, because in a head-to-head matchup, I still think Donald Trump beats her. But it also creates a little bit of an issue because you you have the off-ramp for Joe Biden, but it seems like now Kamala Harris wants to remind everybody that she's ready and fit to serve, at least in the mental capacity. Um, you know, I don't think a woman-woman ticket is what the American public, number one, wants or is ready for at the moment. I definitely could see a female on either side of the ticket, but just not double at this point. In addition, you know, if Kamala Harris is the one that they're going to push up to the front by the DNC convention, then you could always wheel out Gavin Newsom, who's going to be one of their little darlings and, uh, you know, eco-friendly candidates for the next decade or two at the very least. When you see the way that the positioning is kind of going around, in addition to the fact that Hillary Clinton every couple weeks kind of wants to remind everybody that she's still alive, (laughs) how do you potentially see this shaking up? Let's go, Hillary. I would love for Hillary Clinton to jump back in. I've been egging her on for so long. Um, <laughs> if she's listening, she doesn't have the gumption to do it. Um, you know, Gavin Newsom is their version of JFK, even though he is bankrupt in the state of California. And Michelle Obama, look, she, you're right. She's busy making billions. She didn't necessarily love D.C. and that life. And the um, reality of her losing to Donald Trump and destroying the Obama legacy might keep her off the ticket. But with any of these candidates, all you're talking about is a massive degree of ineptitude, a large-scale corruption, and people who organized and orchestrated the largest government conspiracy to interfere and rig presidential elections in U.S. history. So if they want to run those people, bring it on. But I, I mean, you know, I'd like for Donald Trump to continue running against Joe Biden. I just don't see that reality going much longer. No, I completely agree with you. And then when you talk about, uh, you know, what's going on on the America First side and Donald Trump, you know, every single commentator out there has had on a lot of our great friends over the course of the last few weeks. You know, we've had Chairwoman Elise Stefanik in here. Obviously, you know that Dr. Ben Carson is a regular and loves his time here on Steak for Breakfast. We already have him coming back again in early March. And then people like Christy Nome are all getting pushed to the front of potential VP candidates for for Donald Trump. Now, we don't ask anybody to put words in the 45th president's mouth, but for someone that's kind of watching this shape up in real time, do you have any favorites that you might like to see on a ticket with Donald Trump moving forward? I think steak for breakfast should be the VP candidate, other than that. Um, uh, Look, the one thing I know about the boss is he is going to pick the candidate, and he said it publicly, who can do the following jump into the presidency at any moment's notice in case something happens to the number one. And since he's tracking that as the biggest priority and, um, you know, basis for choosing a vice presidential candidate, he's going to pick a rock star. And there's lots that have been on your show and I'm sure we're going to hear about a lot more names. And I have honestly, I have no idea who he's going to pick. I think he knows, 
And I think he is a, putting on a masterclass in making sure the American public vet all of the names that are possibly out there. I mean, how better to vet a candidate for the vice presidency instead of leaving it up to the clown show leadership at the RNC to have the American public decide who should be the number two or help him decide. And I think he's doing it brilliantly that way. Oh, I completely agree with you. And, and when you look at how much success Donald Trump has, I mean, he potentially is going to be 50 and 0 as a non-incumbent <laughs> candidate in, in in the primary election you you can't even make this shit up about how successful yeah. and strong this has been he's looking to absolutely annihilate nikki haley in south carolina her home state where she was governor for a term and a half before she went and served in the trump administration and, and he's beating her now comfortably by over 30 points i think if the weather holds and it's just a nice pre-spring day out there in south carolina we're going to see numbers that are closer to 40 percent margin of victory than, than in the low 30s like a lot of the polls are showing now but it's interesting the way that this is all kind of shaken out and uh it, it leads into what the american public i think is starting to see that we need a lot of help in dc especially up on capitol hill next thing i want to touch on with you cash is uh, obviously you saw after about 130 ish hours of filibustering over the course of the last <laughs> few days and throughout the weekend the senate was able to get over the finish line that 95 11 billion dollars foreign supplemental aid package, which essentially continues to pay everyone's salary in the country of Ukraine and then gives a couple crumbs to places like Israel and Taiwan. When you saw this thing pushed, well, first of all, even take a step back. Remember, the bipartisan border bill was the greatest and most important bill in the history of bills up until it didn't pass, and then they immediately segued to this one. This is just an absolute America last stinker. I thought it was pretty good that Speaker Johnson pre-killed it by saying he's not even going to bring it to the House or the floor, at least this week, potentially ever, in the House of Representatives. But when when you see this stuff continue, I just want to know from your experience, Cash, especially uh, you know when you were at the Department of Defense, which $60 billion package worth of aids ends the war? Which one? Is it this one? Is it the next one? Because at this point... And we keep a running tally here on the show. Since the start of this conflict and based off the original amount of money that they said Donald Trump was eventually going to get for his border wall down on the U.S. southern border, and that was anywhere between $3.5 and $3.7 billion, 64 full border walls have gone to this conflict in Ukraine right now in the you know the ways of cash funding, aid, and military equipment. It doesn't look like it's going to be stopping anytime soon, at least not until January of 2025. There is no check that this... Uh clown show in Congress can chuck can write that will end this war. There's only one guy that can do it. And that's Donald Trump when he ascends to the presidency and people are starting to believe that and see it. The defense industrial complex owns all of these Democrats and Republicans voting for prioritizing Ukraine defense over our own border. They have corrupted the system of government to a degree that has never been seen before. Eisenhower warned us about this. Yep. And that's not to say they don't do a lot of great work. They do. But they are greedy. And these politicians are even greedier. And they care about their re-elections and their bank accounts. And they care more about funding the Ukraine to the tune of $60 billion and only giving our United States military $53 billion for the entire cycle of 2023. Those numbers speak for themselves. You just prioritize the defense of another nation over the men and women who wear the cloth of our uniform and defend us. I don't want any of those people in Congress making any decisions for us. And I'm glad Speaker Johnson and hopefully others will rally around the cause and shut this thing down. Yeah, it has to be shut down. And then when you've seen the way, you know, some of the conflicts have, have 
kind of continue to spiral out of control. We know how much meddling uh, Victoria Nuland has had in Ukraine. We, we've heard reports over the last 24 hours that Russia has been trying to push some kind of a ceasefire uh, slash peace deal that the State Department and Department of Defense are at this time unequivocally shutting down. And then you had King Abdul of Jordan in town yesterday for a, you know, dual presser with Joe Biden, if you want to say that. I mean, he was talking to an imaginary Barack Obama in the corner as well <laughs> during that. But, you know, th these guys have been heavily critiquing Bibi Netanyahu and, and the operation, his counteroffensive to what's happening in Gaza over the course of since October right now. And it just seems like we're, we're there's a two-tier system of foreign policy when it comes to funding the never-ending war in Ukraine, where hundreds of thousands of soldiers and citizens and women and children have been killed. And what's going on in the Gaza Strip right now, which, again, isn't great. We don't want any of these conflicts to continue to happen. But the armchair quarterbacking of this administration, more of the Valerie Jarrett and Jake Sullivan failed foreign policy that has to do with the Middle East. They ha also have like, a, what do you call it, a minor in failing policy with Iran as well. But but that's the thing. It seems like this administration like doesn't care what goes on in, in Eastern Europe while at the same time heavily critiquing what's going on in the Middle East. Well, this administration doesn't care about what's going on anywhere. It only cares about how it's going to get the fake news to write a headline so that Joe Biden can and the Democrats can win the presidency again. We've talked about how they've reprioritized everything over America's sovereignty and America's self-defense. And you raised a number of good points. And, and look, they're not going to stop. These people are going to double and triple down. They're going to scare you and the American electorate into saying, oh, you can't bring back Donald Trump. He's going to ruin the stability in the Middle East that we've brought. He's going to ruin how quiet it is over there. Is he going to ruin the two world wars you started? Is he going to ruin the thousands of people that have been killed in those world wars? Is he going to ruin the American hostages that were killed in both the Ukraine conflict and Israel? No, Donald Trump is a guy that ends the forever wars and brings hostages home and doesn't pay our enemies $6 billion to murder American soldiers. Those are hard facts that the radical left and the clown show that is every celebrity in Hollywood from Susan Sarandon to Alyssa Milano to Miley Cyrus who said they would leave this country if Donald Trump was ever elected. Well, I'm still waiting, but I'm happy to buy their first class private jet ticket straight to the moon. And we got to start calling out these hacks for what they are because they're going to start getting together and trying to grow another chorus of disinformation. But the hard facts are very simple. Joe Biden has failed the American public entirely and donald trump is the only person that can come in and save the wreckage that he has left us and get this country back on the right track it seems like a pretty simple equation and you're going to be there for the ride cash i mean you you, you spent <laughs> you spent some time in nevada right now and we've got the big primary coming up in june it's going to be on the 11th and there are a couple of america first uh house candidates that are running to help push agenda 47 once donald trump gets there we're going to be talking to elizabeth hagelin again on the show she's back running in nevada mm -hmm. three someone who served in the state congress of nevada for a very long time and, and looks to be a very promising house candidate that's endorsed by a lot of the people up on capitol hill right now who not only join president trump frequently on the campaign trail but also vote for all of that America First legislation that comes through the Congress, albeit very small amounts of it are passing through there right now. They always vote against all the bullshit that the Biden regime is kind of, uh, you know, pushing down on us and, and just cramping everyone's style. Last thing I want to touch with you on, Cash, we didn't mention it last time, my bad, but we always got to talk about it. You've got a fantastic organization that helps out so many different people, and, and the Cash Foundation is just something that literally has changed lives over the course of the last few years. You want to tell our listenerships any updates you got going on there? 
No, thanks, man. The Cash Foundation is the best thing we do, and it's a movement of great Americans across this country. We gave away $350,000 last year. We're hoping to give away a million dollars. We're giving money away to whistleblowers. We endowed a scholarship. We're giving away money for legal defense funds for Jan 6 families. We're giving away people who are failing, um, not because of their own self, but they're failing because of Joe Biden's crippling economy and if they need assistance with their business or paying rent. And we're, you know, we're out there raising money and no one on the board earns a stipend or salary. We want to give it away. So we, we raise the funds. You, we need you to tell us where to send them. So go to thecashfoundation.com. And if you want to be a part of the Mission First Movement, grab some swag. All the money from the swag goes right back to the kitty and we send it right back out the door. And we couldn't do it without you guys and Steak for Breakfast putting it out there. It's, it's literally the best thing we do. And everyone's allowed to come and join the fight at the Cash Foundation. Got it. Absolutely do it. We're going to be live linking the Foundation Cash and also the link to your newest book, Government Gangsters, in the show description today. There's only one place you could find you on social media. Why don't you tell our listenership where that is? At Truth Social, baby. K-A-S-H, at Truth Social. If you think you're following me somewhere else on some other um, uh, First Amendment suppression site, it ain't me. And we'll be looking to do it again soon right here. Get these shows started in the only way we know how when he joins us, the government gangster hunter himself, Mr. Cash Patel. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on the show and getting things started here on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, my friends. Congrats on the new launch. It's going to be great. Why this bill should give the American people pause. It should give us pause. We're willing to spend that on Ukraine's border security. Why not ours? Yes, I know they're, they're at war, and that's significant, that's tragic. And yeah, Vladimir Putin's a bad guy, and we don't want him to, uh, to be able to pursue his, his ambitions. Our job, first and foremost, is to protect this country. When we can protect other countries half a world away, we ought to have that discussion. And we ought to have that discussion in a way that makes very clear to the American people how that benefits them directly, how that makes them safer. I don't mean to suggest that any of these questions are easily answered, but I do mean to say emphatically that American border security, which is at risk in ways that it never has been, not just in my lifetime, but in the entire existence of this country, at least since the end of the War of 1812, but in other ways since, uh, since it came to be. We're deep trouble with our border security. People are pouring across who do not mean us well. And we've got to be concerned about this. This bill turns a blind eye to that, even while fetishizing border security in another nation half a world away. And that was Utah Senator Mike Lee. And this is Steak for Breakfast. Welcome to the opening news portion of the first of our two Big Tuesday editions of the show today. We opened... Our first edition today with former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, as you just heard. We're going to have retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor and Nevada Congressional Candidate Elizabeth Hageline joining us in this episode as well. Noah, you're here. Welcome. What's happening? Well. Fetishizing other countries' border security. That's that's I like that. That's a good tag. Yeah, likely he's been doing a good job of, well, he did the best he could as he put out on his X formerly Twitter this morning of, of holding the line. So we had over 130 hours of filibustering before eventually passing the $95 billion supplemental foreign age package, which has $60 billion for Ukraine. And then the rest of the crumbs is scattered amongst other places like Taiwan and Israel and 
countries of that nature, but definitely not good for America first, definitely not good for the national debt, and definitely not good in general as Senate Republicans were not able to hold the line. Noah, did you watch any of this? As it, it seemed like whatever news channel you put on, even if it was local news, they had a little box in the bottom-hand corner all the way up to the cable news shows and places like C-SPAN that were running like unadulterated footage of this nonstop for over 130 hours where you heard everything like stuff that Mike Lee just said all the way down to renditions of Dr. Seuss as J.D. <laughs> JD Vance fulfilled a promise to his four-year-old son uh, and, and read that as part of his one hour of speaking times and the multiple hours which he talked. We'll hear from the Ohio senator in just a bit. But, you know, as we continue to see the American public get railroaded with this legislation right now, remember the bipartisan border bill was the most important piece of legislation in the history of the galaxy until it wasn't. And now this took its place as we'll hear from uh, Senator Pierre Delecto, Mitt Romney right now. Check this out. What we will soon take to provide military weapons for Ukraine is the most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. What do you think and feel about that, Noah? <laughs> no. No. How about no? Forever I no. can't believe Ukraine is even a fucking conversation anymore. It's ridiculous. You know, just over the course of the last 12 hours, Reuters broke a story that Vladimir Putin has drafted ceasefire paperwork and wants to talk about ending his military incursion into the Eastern European nation. He's probably getting bored with it. Well, it's been turned down by the Joe Biden-led State Department and Department of Defense up to this point. Oh, perfect. That kind of raises some red flags for me. They probably had some big Raytheon orders that needed to go out still. Mm. You know, one of the things that a lot of the Republican senators who were against this bill talked about and never had the opportunity to do was make amendments on this bill. This was a, you know... Valerie Jarrett, Victoria Newland, Jake Sullivan, Tony Blinken, Joe Biden drafted bill, pushed through Chuck Schumer's office and given to the Senate as take it or leave it. When the leave it started to get a little bit louder than usual, the, I guess, mitigation for negotiation went out the window as well. Missouri Senator Eric Schmidt alluded to just that during one of his times opining on the Senate floor. Let's hear him. 98 senators, 96 senators locked out. And I, I mean this as a, as a call to uh, any colleagues who are listening, um, and I've had many of these conversations already. There is a better way. We can strike some real reform on the way that we handle things. Re- regular orders talked about, an open amendment process is talked about. There are a couple people who don't want to see that happen. Senator Schumer certainly doesn't want to see that happen. Think about the power he gets to wield. Come to me. I am the one that gets to come down from the mountain and unveil the tablets. <laughs> wow. You'll be cast aside if you dare try to change what's been you know, carved into stone. That is not what our republic is supposed to be like. 
I'm sorry, I had the mental image of Chuck Schumer yeah. as Moses. And then I'm going to try and figure out where Chuck Schumer would be presenting these tablets to. Because remember, Egypt is now along the U.S. southern border. And Mexico now resides in the Middle East, right under and south of Israel. So I'm trying to figure out. It would be a lot easier walk for Chuck Schumer to walk across the U.S. southern border with these tablets for the supplemental aid package than it would be out, uh, you know, west of the Gaza Strip, but he makes an excellent point. You know, the, the fact that the, a lot of these bills come in the middle of the night, the fact probably that... probably a churro cart in the background. No, you're 100% correct. Well, listen, some of the congressional offices that have popcorn makers, they were running overtime over the course of the weekend. I know one of our favorites, Tennessee Representative Tim Burchett, was dishing out Mountain Dews and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches like it was nobody's business and, nice. and trying to keep these guys fueled for their... You know, long statements provided on the floor. So many of the senators would kick hours down. I mean, Mike Lee at one point went for five hours straight standing there talking about how this is bullshit. And you lend credit where credit is due. But the fact of the matter is it goes into the larger equation is that we just don't have the numbers in the Senate and in the House representatives to pass and push major legislation that stops stuff like this right now. In addition... Leadership is just falling apart. You've seen another coup attempt against Mitch McConnell, and now the public disdain for him is probably louder than it's ever been in any time that he's served in the Senate right now, where just everyone is disgusted with the job that he's doing. He's essentially a Democrat. He worked on Biden legislation at the front half of this session of Congress right now to get a bridge in his state and worked on some bipartisan legislation with Joe Biden, the American Rescue Plan, and the Inflation Non-Reduction Act, which had massive kickdowns for, for Mitch McConnell. And in his old-aged and diminished capacity, he just no longer is able to do his job. And more people are starting to see it, and they're actually calling him out on it now. And, you know, it, it doesn't help anything and only hurts the American people in every way, shape, or form. It keeps an ongoing conflict on fire with a nuclear superpower if not the nuclear superpower. I don't know if they have better bombs than us, but there is a potentiality that, you know, even after the fall of the Soviet Union, they may have more. And what's going on with NATO right now and how they're chest-puffing their stature in, in Eastern Europe, it's, it's just not good things. This conflict needs to come to an end. Everybody needs to kind of bite the bullet. No one's going to be happy with the outcomes, but there has to get one that gets our long-range weaponry to stop attacking Russians in disputed parts of Russia and Ukraine right now. Don't you think that is the there there? Yeah. And answer Noah. Yeah. It needs to stop. Completely needs to stop. It's just wild the way that we've kind of watched this and and, and there just seems to be no control. The the numbers aren't enough to to flip leadership in, in regards to McConnell, but we did get somebody, Chuck Grassley, who is usually a yes for stuff like this came over and decided to be a no in the 11th hour yesterday, making the number of, Republicans who voted on it, which we'll get to in a second, from 17 to 16. One of the biggest disappointments for me, Noah, you'll probably agree, is our national treasure. Louisiana Senator John Kennedy voted for this bill, as he mm. usually does. He just seems to be a rubber stamp for the military-industrial complex. I know there's a lot of manufacturing, steel production, and, and bases down there in Louisiana. And he just seems like if it's enough to look like he's not supporting the military, he just doesn't even bother with it and votes yes for it. Someone who definitely voted no yesterday, in addition to Senators Schmidt and Mike Lee, was Ohio Senator J.D. Vance. I already mentioned that he had 
red, green eggs and ham <laughs> during one of his times at the podium. But here he was talking about one of the biggest components of all this, how depleted our own domestic stockpile of American weaponry has been drastically reduced because of this foreign conflict and what we've sent to it and also what we've sent to Israel since the start of their counteroffensive after the October 7th terrorist attack there. Let's hear J.D. Vance as he's reminding the American public that at some point we still have to defend ourselves. The thing that suggests to me is that GDP numbers are awfully fake. If you can't produce weapons to defend your own people, then you can't pretend that your economy is as strong as you might like to think. Unfortunately for Wall Street, we cannot fight wars with dollars and derivatives. We need weapons. We need bullets. We need artillery shells. We need missiles. And America doesn't make nearly enough of those. Not for our own security and certainly not enough to support both the Ukraine conflict and, God forbid, a conflict that might occur in East Asia. So let's specify that a little bit more. We're right now depleting critical munitions, missiles, artillery shells, and bullets faster than we can replenish them, and then we send them to Ukraine. Well, I'm sorry, why does that make an ounce of sense for our own national security? Shouldn't we rebuild our own manufacturing capacity before we spend all of it on Ukraine? Shouldn't we make more of our own weapons and gain some self-sufficiency in weapons manufacturing before we send all of those resources to Ukraine? The answer of the United States Senate is apparently not. What do you think about that? No, I think that's probably the biggest thing. The largest item out of this entire operation that's been going on with us funding this Ukraine war. And let me just make it clear to everybody before I, I let no answer here. There isn't a $60 billion supplemental aid package that's going to end this conflict ever coming. So it doesn't matter how many different ways they write up this bill or what's in it. There is no way, shape, or form that any of these monies ever end the conflict there. Neither do our artilleries and munitions as well. You know, that's just... Yeah, we're just pissing money into the wind at yeah. this point because it's pointless. You know, one of the other biggest things that Senator Vance brought up, Noah, I don't know if you heard about this... Well, you probably won't be surprised at the very least. There's an impeachment time bomb interwoven. I saw that. Just imagine that. They're so scared that Donald Trump is going to come back and win the White House in November that they're putting stop gaps in there to make sure that, number one, he can't solve this war in 24 hours, and number two, if he tries to, there's likelihood that he can be impeached. I'm going to read it right now. But, of course, they have an insurance plan, even if Donald Trump pulls it off. Though few have noticed, buried in the bill's text is a kill switch for the next Trump presidency. The legislation explicitly requires funding for Ukraine well into the next presidential term. The Washington Post reported this as a provision was added to control Donald Trump. And we're going to read on with the commentary here. It gets worse. Back in 2019, Democrats articulated a novel theory of impeachment based on Trump's refusal to spend money from the USA. Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. Five years after impeaching Donald Trump for refusing to spend money on Ukraine, they drafted a new law that, again, requires that Donald Trump spend money for, on Ukraine. It negotiates an end to the war, as he has promised, but they will do it undoubtedly arguing the entire way that he has broken the law. We are nearly a year away from the election, and that could give Trump the presidency, but the Ukraine-obsessive Republicans have already given the Democrats a predicate to impeach him. What do you think about that? It's absolute trash. There's no fucking way. But, I mean, you got to look at it. I mean, they are scared he's going to win. That that 
that is a positive sounding note, if nothing else. Yeah, we're going to have to see what legalities that holds and, and possibly how to get around that. You know, and, and to think that Wait, so this, that that didn't pass, right? Or that part of it did pass? Oh, it's in the bill, the bill that passed. Oh, okay. I thought maybe they. Now that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, and we we already heard from Senator Schmidt there was no negotiation to make any kind of amendments in this as well. Number one, that's why because how is that possible? That's not how the government's supposed to work. Well, they don't specifically write the name Donald Trump. They just require the, the the legalese inside of the amendment to the bill just states that the president cannot abandon this country that we've so, you know, bravely defended over the course of the last three years. No, I mean, how can there not be any potential for an amendment to one of these things? Like, it's just like, take it or leave it. Fuck you. Yeah. Much like with the budget, when Nancy Pelosi brings out those, you know, 30,000 page stinkers like an hour before it's due for a vote on the floor and says, if you can find it, we can talk about it. Good luck finding it, though. It's wild. It's wild the way. And, you know, the vote went down. And, of course, we knew with only 16 senators voting to pass this thing on the Republican side that it was going to get over the threshold of 60 needed. And essentially what what this turns into is just an absolute big mess for the American public. What what is the benefit of voting for this like why would anybody on our team vote for this well not well the military industrial complex is number one all of the packs that no, but how do they explain it and rationalize it to the voters you know i think when it gets to the senate and those are more statewide and not district driven races they just don't care you yeah. know they're like a step above the governor to where they don't really commingle with the peasants the vote passed 66 to 33 and the budget rules were waived, clearing another procedural hurdle, which advanced the $95 billion foreign aid bill to Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan. Only 60 votes were needed. Here are the Republicans who voted yes. What you should be doing is calling their senatorial offices today and giving them an earful. This would be Senators McConnell, of course, Thune, Capito, Cassidy, Collins, Cornyn, Ernst, Kennedy, Moran, Murkowski, Romney, Rounds, Sullivan, Tillis, Wicker, and Young. There is a potentiality to get at least three of them out of there in the upcoming election cycle and flip some that are on the Democrat side. So we could see a change in leadership as early as 2025. I'm not as optimistic as some people might be regarding that. Now let's talk about the fallout here. You had... Senator Josh Hawley, who also gave some good mentions on the floor talking about this, and he took to the cable news circuit to kind of give Joe Biden and the regime an earful afterwards. Let's hear him. My goodness, we have enough money to make hundreds of millions of dollars of our taxpayer funds available to the private sector in Ukraine. We are now literally funding their businesses, their banks, Lord knows what. We've got money without end. We've got enough money to pay for bureaucrat salaries. We've got enough money to pay for Ukrainian government officials' pensions. We've got enough money for so-called humanitarian aid that gets funneled away from, siphoned off into any manner of corrupt uses. We won't know because we don't have a special inspector general to oversee this money, but that's a different story. Oh, no, we've got plenty of money. And I have listened carefully, carefully, to colleague after colleague of mine come to this floor and stand where I am now and say, it's so important that we spend this money on these overseas wars. We must spend the money 
If we don't spend this money now, why, it may cost us more money in the future. No, it's, it's imperative. It's imperative that we spend this money. Meanwhile, these same people turn to the citizens of Missouri and say, you're not worth a dime. They say, you can't have a penny. They turn to the residents of Kentucky and Tennessee and Alaska and New Mexico and Arizona and Utah and Texas and they say, we don't care that you were poisoned. We don't have a dime for you. We have unlimited money for Ukraine. We're going to rebuild the borders of Ukraine. That's in this bill, but we don't have anything for you. Mm. Big middle finger to the American public. Yeah. And he mentioned the states where you saw the senators who voted yes and just how they feel. You know, there's so many news reports coming out right now. Citizen journalists are finding more and more, I don't even want to call them hidden. They're just like covert migrant apparatuses across the country right now where it's either warehouses, abandoned structures, makeshift shanty towns that are just being... And they're all littered with the fingerprints of the NGOs, the Red Cross and, uh, what is it, Catholic Charities? Yep. And all of these people that are going to be getting more dollars from all of these amendments that are written into this bill. You know, you can't do foreign aid without paying off the NGOs, and it's just wild to see that we're going to continue to do that and kick low-income American citizens out of their schools, out of their neighborhoods, veterans out of long-term care, and, and just to be able to facilitate this migration process, which stems from all of these foreign wars. Somebody needs to look into how much these NGOs, like CEOs or whatever their fucking business structure is, are making a year. Because I guarantee it's six figures. It's going to be heavily scrutinized in the next administration, I can tell you that much. Senator Rand Paul was talking about popping bottles, but not the way we want to hear it. Let's check it out. Pop the cork. The Senate Democrat leader and the Republican leader are on the way to Kiev. They've got $60 billion they're bringing. I don't know if it'll be cash in pallets, but they're taking your money to Kiev. Oof. Now, they didn't have much time, really no time and no money to do anything about our border. We're being invaded. A literal invasion's coming across our border. 800,000 people came illegally in the last month, and all they had time to do in the Senate was get the money, get the cash pallets, load the planes, get the champagne ready, and fly to Kiev. I don't think anybody articulates it better than him at just how fucked up this entire situation is. Everybody knows it's money laundering. Everyone. Yep. And especially like we're, we're paying for everything over there, like private businesses. Like what? They have a fucking Starbucks and we're paying the rent? Like what? Come on. Speaker Johnson was quick to get out ahead of this. And, you know, he's not a huge fan of this bill. He's promised that border security was going to be the hill that House Republicans die on. And when the Biden regime pulled border security for Ukraine funding, he, he had to step in and do something because at this point, what can you do to stop it except lead in the House the way you are supposed to be doing it? His office issued a statement shortly after the bill passed on the Senate floor. I'm going to read it right now. House Republicans were crystal clear that from the very beginning of discussions that any so-called national security supplemental legislation must recognize that national security begins at our own border. The House acted 10 months ago to enact 
transformative policy change by passing the Secure Our Border Act of 2023, and since then, including today, the Senate has failed to meet the moment. The Senate did not do the right thing last week by rejecting the Ukraine-Taiwan-Gaza-Israel immigration legislation due to its insufficient border provisions, and it should have gone back to the drawing board to amend the current bill to include real border security provisions that would have actually helped the ongoing catastrophe. Instead, the Senate's foreign aid bill is silent on the most pressing issue facing our country. The mandate of national security supplemental legislation was to secure America's own border before suspending additional foreign aid around the world. It is what the American people demanded and deserve. Now, in the absence of having received any single border policy change from the Senate, the House will have to continue its work on its own to will these important America first matters. America deserves better than what the Senate's status quo has become. That's the end of the statement officially released from Mike Johnson yesterday. This pre-kills the bill. He also made an announcement to the press that it will be off the floor this week. He's not even going to entertain putting it out there. And at some point, he's going to have to make a decision on whether or not they're going to have a vote on it. But in this moment in time, which is about midday on Tuesday, Speaker Johnson said he's not even looking to entertain this bill on the House floor. He could essentially do to Chuck Schumer what Chuck Schumer did to House Republicans with H.R. 2, the Secure Border Act, and just have it and let it collect dust. So maybe we're not popping bottles as fast as possible. But we'll have to see as... Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer will surely be jet-setting over to Kiev if this thing can eventually get over the finish line. Private jet. G6? Oh, yeah. It's so green. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadios, please make sure you subscribe to the show. That means you hit the plus button, the follow button, and that's downloading to your electronic device. In addition, you can find us on social media. Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram is where we have accounts. Find them, follow them hit the notification bell. We're going to be jumping in with retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. He was special assistant to the Secretary of Defense and the Trump administration as well to get his latest on this and more. Noah, you'll be pretty interested to hear yesterday that many of these senators who took a very long time on the Senate floor, over 100 hours, talking about the negatives of this, took to X and started a space with Elon Musk to discuss just about what the problems are and how much of it is Mitch McConnell's fault. One of the clips I pulled from that is Senator Ron Johnson talking about how Mitch McConnell scumbagged the American public on border security and skirted it for Ukraine aid. Let's check it out. Very simply, when we entered this thing, McConnell, his top priority was funding for Ukraine. But public opinion and the very strong political rhetoric that we ought to secure our own border before we spend $60 billion to secure Ukraine's was effective. And so McConnell finally switched and said, okay, we're, we got to let Democrats know we're serious. We're going to defeat cloture on this bill and we're going to demand that border security is going to be attached to funding for Ukraine. Then secret negotiations occurred on an issue that the public supports Republicans on. And we end up with this monstrosity of a bill. It's an immigration bill. It's not a border security bill. But during, during that time frame, we repeatedly talked about making Ukraine funding contingent on border metrics, you know, just like performance measurements in, in business, right? As, as the border was secured, you get $5 billion a month. I mean, we had it all laid out, had a proposal. It had a great deal of support in our conference. But what Mike pointed out is, unbeknownst to us at the time, 
McConnell told Langford that's not even on the table. Mm. He, he, on his own, using his own authority, without telling the conference, even though he knew the, knew the conference supported tying border security or Ukraine funding to actually securing the border, McConnell just took that off the table. And that moment of leverage we had, where we could use Biden's desire for Ukraine funding to actually force him to use his executive authority to secure the border, has been lost. And that is why so many of us are speaking out against McConnell. It was such a breach of his, of his leadership position and is such a, you know, just a horrible thing to do to Americans who want to secure border. But that's, that's where we're at. So again, I think it has been smoked out. Now the action moves to the House. And again, you just heard what Speaker Johnson said about this bill and how he feels about it. We're not going to see a vote on it on the floor this week at the very least. They have more important things to be discussing. Noah, you know round two and last chance to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas is today. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, that's not going to happen. I'm a little bit more optimistic. Steve Scalise is back, and if everybody votes the exact same way, he's impeached. We also saw that Rep. Mike Gallagher, the Wisconsin representative who at the last minute flipped his vote because he doesn't think that Alejandro Mayorkas has met the threshold of impeachment, also announced that he won't be running for re-election in his district, which now has fueled rumors that America First consultant and great guest to steak for breakfast, Alex Brusowitz, might be running to take that seat back for America First. So we'll have to see how things hash out. And before we jump in with Colonel McGregor, we've got one more clip. Again, I mentioned this space, which I just thought was weird. Elon Musk has lent an eye to what's going on in our U.S. southern border a lot more than he had had ever over the course of the last six months. And he was the one who hosted this space with Senator Vance, Hawley, Johnson, and Lee. Went on for a couple hours. Vivek Ramaswamy even jumped in to lend his two cents. And, you know, Elon Musk, kind of as a billionaire elitist, who's supposed to be above all this fray, it doesn't really affect me, so why should I give a shit about it, is now speaking the hard truths that a lot of Americans want to hear. Let's check it out. The, the really important thing to, to bear in mind here is that um, this, this spending does not help Ukraine. Prolonging the war does not help Ukraine. Just this is we very said. important to appreciate. Um, I, I think it's it's fantastic. Like America wants to be the good guy. You, you know that that's actually pretty rare. We actually care about what whether we're the good guy or not. <laughs> Most countries don't, um, and 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 we want to we want to keep that. We want to do the right thing. We want to help people. The the problem is prolonging the war and and having sacrificing the flower of Ukrainian youth and and we should have some sympathy for the Russian youth as well. It's not like they want to be there. Um, and having all these boys die for nothing is wrong, and it needs to stop. And that's what it comes down to. You don't see Jeff Bezos or any of the other big elites weighing in like that, Noah. Huh? It's pretty pretty weird to me. I, I, I'd say eye-opening, but to me it was just, when I saw this Twitter space pop up, I thought it was like all the parody accounts. And then when I jumped in there and I saw there was like 11 billion people listening to it, I was like, oh, shit, this is real. Nice. And, and I mean, do you think this will spread? I mean, everybody virtue signals for Ukraine so hard. And then a lot of people have spun Elon Musk in a negative light since he took over Twitter. 
Do you think that this becomes infectious or do you think this stays within a small community directly adjacent to Elon Musk's orbit moving forward? Well, the unfortunate thing is that Elon Musk is on the enemy side of a lot of people. So regardless of whether they agree with it or not, they're not going to parrot what Musk is saying because Musk man bad or brain chip man bad or cyber truck guy bad. I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see. and But it know, really should. It really should take off with just everybody in the general public because, like, I mean, if, if you think that this is a legitimate military operation anymore and not just a money laundering scheme of epic proportions larger than weapons of mass destruction, you, you need to examine the inside of your own head because you're retarded. And there it is. We're going to leave it at that. We're going to continue to track where this goes in the House. And again, since the impeachment vote for Alejandro Mayorkas isn't coming through till later in the day, probably into the evening hours tonight, we'll be tracking that on both of our Friday editions of the show. We're getting ready to jump in with Colonel McGregor right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the retired U.S. Army Colonel, Senior Advisor to SecDef, Military Consultant, Author, and Great Friend of the Show, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Welcome back to Steak for Breakfast. Hey, good to be with you. Well, we've had a lot of uh, geopolitical developments happen over the course of the last 24 hours. First thing I want to start off with is up on Capitol Hill. You saw, after I guess over about 130 hours of filibustering, we saw the supplemental aid package, another waste of U.S. taxpayer dollars being thrown into the abyss of Ukraine, places adjacent, and global conflicts all over the world otherwise passed in the Senate now heads to the House of Representatives where Speaker of the House Mike Johnson said he's not even going to give it a sniff. You know, you've been one of the only people from day one who says blindly pouring money into any of these conflicts, especially the one that's going on between Russia and Ukraine, is the last way that the conflict is ever going to be solved. We've also saw some recent developments over the last 24 hours that a proposed peace deal maybe coming out of Russia was nixed by the U.S. State Department and Department of Defense. Just want to know if you give our listenership a little bit of the latest on on how you see this all shaken down. Well, while the rest of us were watching uh, the Super Bowl, Bad things were happening in the Senate, which is probably, as Mark Twain said, uh, one of the most corrupt institutions in America. What we've got is uh, a bill designed to do several things, most of which aren't in the interest of the American people. First of all, uh, the money going to Ukraine, most of that money will just be sort of repurposed to buy more military equipment and replenish old stocks in the Pentagon. It'll put a lot of money into the pockets of the Senate's uh, donors who have a great deal to say about how things run in Washington. 
but it's not going to fundamentally improve anything for us. You know, what's happening in Ukraine right now is not widely reported, but the truth is the Ukrainian leadership is essentially falling apart. Uh, not only are they taking very heavy casualties whenever they encounter the Russians, and the Russians are now advancing all along the front, uh, Zelensky is now firing people that have tried to tell him the truth, that the war is over, that a peace needs to be made, that we've got to come to an end. So he's fired Zeluzhny, the uh, effectively the commander-in-chief of the Ukrainian Armed Forces, the chief of staff of the army. And he's trying to replace him with uh, lackeys that the British intelligence and the CIA like and approve of because they're willing to do anything within their power to sustain the conflict, no matter how many Ukrainians have to die. And the best estimates are that if the Ukrainian government can go into Ukraine itself and drag what manpower is still there into uniform, they might be able to come up with an additional 250,000 men. But none of them are really well-trained. Many of them are not fit, and they're they're just going to go in and die in front of the Russians. The Russians, in the meantime, as I think as people saw with this interview with Putin, want to end the war. They want to come to some sort of resolution. The last thing that Putin wants to do is to cross the Dnieper River and move west because he doesn't want to end up being responsible for millions of Ukrainians in the west who don't want to be ruled by Russians, and he doesn't want to rule them. He wants this to end. He wants to go to some new state of normalcy and do business with the United States and the West. But, you know, obviously no one in Washington wants to admit that we failed, and they're going to wring the last dollars they can out of the budget to uh, line the pockets of their friends in the military-industrial congressional complex. Now, when it comes to Israel, that's another, another matter entirely. Israel has now, by all the estimates coming out from no, most sources, killed, wounded, uh, and missing, and when it comes to the Arab population, roughly 100,000 people. Uh, we need to understand what's happening in Gaza that Americans don't get. Let's say that we announced to the world that over 100,000 Americans are dying every year, which they are, by the way, from fentanyl poisoning. And we decided that the solution to the 100,000 dead inside our borders was to attack Mexico and kill a million Mexicans in northern Mexico. Most people would regard that as a rather stupid and silly idea. And I don't think most Americans would support it, and they shouldn't. There are ways to deal with the problem. You know, we need to secure the border. We need to enforce our own laws. We need to expel the illegals, and then we need to go after the drug cartels and everything that they've got inside the United States before we do anything else. Well, Israel is in a similar position, only it's decided. Collectively, these Arabs must pay for what happened on the 7th of October. In reality, they're putting into practice a plan that we've never signed up for, which is the systematic expulsion or killing of millions of Arabs from within their borders on the so-called West Bank or in Gaza. Uh, I think the Congress is just shoveling money towards them. No one is saying, listen, we, we want to support Israel. We believe in Israel. We think Israel deserves to exist. But we as Americans are not comfortable signing up for this mass murder and expulsion exercise. Nobody cares. Nobody's interested. And again, most Americans don't know what's happening. And I haven't seen much evidence that the mainstream meeting is explain, explaining any of it to us. And then uh, finally, I guess uh, the entire bill itself is going to ratchet up the debt, which is now over $34 trillion. We're paying a trillion every year just to service our debt. And people are beginning to look at us and question the validity of our economic structure and our financial integrity. 
So the Saudis, uh, in particular, along with the Chinese, I think increasingly the Japanese, many others around the world are beginning to quietly sell off our treasuries. Because remember, they bought our treasuries when they were damn near 0% interest, and now this is just toxic debt. So there's a lot happening in Washington. None of it is good news for us, but I guess if George Bush were still president, he'd say, don't worry about it. Watch Taylor Swift. We'll get on with things. Yeah, it seems like that is just one of the many distractions that we have over the course of the last couple of years where we uh, have watched the Biden administration's foreign policies and fail on, on the global stage over and over again. I'm going to stay in, in, in the thread of Ukraine before we jump over to the Middle East, as you kind of laid out some bullet points for our listenership there, Colonel. Now, when you talk about a, a couple different things, number one, any kind of potential peace deal, what is it that you know, the international community, NATO members, outside entities, people like Boris Johnson, and then the Biden State Department and Department of Defense, where, you know, Tony Blinken and, and Jake Sullivan and, and, and people like that have just, well, obviously Victoria Newland as well, dropped the ball on this since before the color revolution that happened in Ukraine back in 2014. I think the problem in Washington is a simple one. No one wants to stand up and say, you know, we made a terrible mistake. Yep. We said uh, Russia was weak. Russia, you know, could not withstand the sanctions that we were prepared to impose, that they could not operate outside of our financial system, that their military establishment was too small and too weak to do anything. And ultimately, if you go back to January of 2022, just about everybody in Washington insisted, oh, no, the Russians will talk, they'll bluff, but they'll never go in. And that's that's the problem. We made terrible, terrible mistakes. No one wants to admit to the mistake. And we dragged the ruling elite class of politicians in Europe down with us. So they are now paying a horrific price economically. Germany in particular, which used to be the juggernaut, not just of Europe, but probably three in the world economically, is now being rapidly transformed into an underdeveloped third world country. They're losing their manufacturing base. All the tremendous engineering and scientific industrial development that they were responsible for is being destroyed. And foolishly, they're standing around saying, well, this is the right thing to do. We have to stop this man, Putin. Well, Putin's not coming. He doesn't even want to cross the Upper River. He doesn't want to come west. He's not interested in attacking anybody. But how can you stand up and say, gosh, we were wrong. Sorry, America, and you're now several trillion more in debt as a result of it. We've destroyed the NATO alliance. We're destroying the uh, European Union. There's not much left of the West, thanks to our bad policies. Nobody wants to own up to that. Did it surprise you this weekend to see such a negative reaction when Donald Trump reminded everybody of how he had gotten NATO to contribute their fair share while out on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania this last weekend? No, not at all. You know, President Trump, and you know I have a lot of affection for him, uh, he likes to say things sometimes that are easily taken out of context and then twisted to his disadvantage. Uh, what he was simply trying to say is that when he was president, he told the Europeans, you are a wealthy, successful group. You need to pay for your own defense. You need to be your own first responder. By the way, he told the Japanese the same thing and for the same reasons. Well, the interesting part now is that I guess to fix the problem, this administration has destroyed Europe economically, making them even more dependent upon us than they were in the past. 
Now, I think the Europeans are going to wake up at some point and discover that they're going to have to care for themselves. But you know, it's a it's a tragic set of circumstances because all of this could have been avoided. This war in Ukraine was never needed. We goaded the Russians into attacking. We made it impossible for them not to. So now we pay the price. And the last thing I want to touch with you on, and it's going to cover some of the stuff you had mentioned regarding the conflict in Israel with their military operation in Gaza. We saw that King Abdullah of Jordan was here yesterday and, you know, pretty much in lockstep with what the Biden administration's rhetoric has been in regards to the response. And that's not that they can't perform this military operation. It's the way that they're conducting it. It, it seems like the agreement to oversight into how they're waging this war against Hamas right now is starting to gain more traction, as you accurately predicted, in, in, in a wider stage in the Middle East. When you saw that dual press conference went down and, and just the way the rhetoric was kind of spun and directed at Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, do you think this is going to increase maybe uh, the pressure enough to have him rethink what the next portion of his strategy is? Or is Israel just going to do what they do and continue to bulldoze their way until they feel like they've eliminated enough of Hamas to no longer have them as a threat? I think two things are going to happen. Uh, the first thing that happens is that we will do exactly what Prime Minister Netanyahu wants us to do. Uh, the Israeli state really has control of our government. And the government is responding to them. And the government is taking the positions that the Israelis want them to take, regardless of how many hundreds of thousands of people are being killed as a result. The media is supportive of this. And so I, I don't see any change at all in Washington. Washington will support the Israelis as long as the Israelis demand it. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and I think that Abdullah probably made this comment privately to Biden is something that both the Israelis and their friends in Washington don't believe can happen. And that is that this could become a regional war. Now, why am I saying that? Well, first of all, Egypt, which has 100 million people, is under tremendous pressure right now because what the Israelis are doing in southern Gaza, that is in the so-called Philadelphia Corridor and Rafah. And Sisi has said that those, those areas are Egyptian responsibilities as per the treaty that was signed in 19, based on the 1973 war. He's got no choice. If he does nothing when the Israelis intervene there, his population will remove him. Because across the Middle East, what we don't see is the level of rage and discontent that grips virtually every Muslim from Morocco to Indonesia. Americans are never told you know, what happened two weeks before uh, the attacks by Hamas. The Israelis or a group of Israelis went into the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Now, who cares about the Al-Aqsa Mosque? We don't care. Well, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is the third holiest site in Islam. And that's why when the Hamas group did attack, they called the operation Al-Aqsa Flood. In other words, this is bigger than Hamas now. Hamas is still surviving. Hamas has not been destroyed. It has been wounded. It has been harmed, but it is not yet destroyed. The collective punishment, though, inflicted on the population has awakened the rest of the Muslim world. Erdogan in Turkey has been probably the single most openly hostile voice against Israel. The Turks and Mr. Erdogan are on their way to Egypt. They will meet with General Sisi on Wednesday, and I suspect that the Turks will say, stand your ground and fight, and we will back you. 
Well, this is the beginning of the larger war. There's also a very good possibility that the Israelis decide to widen this war in the meantime with Hezbollah and fight their way into southern Lebanon. That will ultimately bring in Iran. So we're looking at a regional war, and the thing that no one ever mentions is that in the background stand Russia and China. Both of them have vital strategic interests in the Middle East, interests far greater than our own, because as I'm sure you're aware and most Americans are aware, we're really no longer dependent on oil and natural gas from the Middle East. But Russia and China have extremely vital interests there. The Chinese in particular cannot afford to have the Straits of Hormuz shut down. They will back Iran in a war with us, with Israel or anybody else. And I would be very surprised if Mr. Putin will not also back the Turks. So things are not shaping up in a good way. And just as we miscalculated about Ukraine and what would happen there, I fear that Sullivan and Biden and Blinken and their entire gang, along with their friends in the Senate, are grossly miscalculating right now what can happen in the Middle East. It is a mistake to assume that everyone will stand around and watch the Israelis wipe out several million people. It's not going to happen. And the way that it's kind of uh, spun at this point is continuing to get out of control. Colonel, we're going to leave it at that. We obviously have you back every couple of weeks. We love your commentary and insight on these, you know, things we're not specialists in, but you paint such a, a brighter picture for our listenership. Not brighter in the context of things are going well, but you know the, the 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 educational value to things that you don't get in the mainstream media. Something that this is one of the only places you'll get them anywhere else. We know that you're the CEO of Our Country, Our Choice, an amazing website about taking back America for America. In addition to that, we're going to live link your website in the show description today as well. Is there anywhere else you want us to check you out on social media? No, no, that's fine. I'd appreciate it. And uh, our our country, ourchoice.com is the website. I encourage everybody to go there and sign up for it. Uh, I think they'll find it very interesting. We're, we're different. We're not just a, another group that wants to rally. We actually want to recruit the people who will ultimately go to Washington and replace the disaster that is there. This is the retired U.S. Army colonel who's always providing the greatest commentary on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Colonel Douglas McGregor, thanks for joining us today. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Bye-bye. As it relates to the names and um, and what he was trying to, you know, what he was trying to, uh, to say, look, many people, uh, elected officials, many people, um, you know, uh, they tend, they can, they can mis- misspeak sometimes, right? And look, I, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, you know, on Sunday, Speaker Johnson said Iran instead of Israel. This happens. Uh, Joe, uh, Joe is not here. There are many times I call Joe from USA Today Michael. Oh. I'm sure he doesn't appreciate that. Um, he doesn't. I've apologized to him many times. Now I call him JoJo uh, because the president calls him JoJo. Uh, but and also Sean Hannity himself has said uh, Jason Chavitz when he met Matt Gates. I mean, oh. it happens. It really happens. Rick Scott. Even confuses saving, say, uh, saving Medicare money with cutting Medicaid. Oh. Medicare, pardon me. Oh. Uh, and so this happens. Uh, you know, it um, uh, it is it happens to all of us, uh, and it is common. But I do want to not. I do want to make sure we don't forget what the overall arching kind of theme, what he is trying to say about about our leadership on the global stage. Oh, scissor me timbers.
Oh my goodness. Is it historic and don't forget and about transparent. Person. Oh yeah, transparent. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> historic and transparent. All right, jumping back into the news portion of the show here. Always great catching up with Colonel McGregor. Definitely painted a lot broader and bleaker picture on the situations in both Ukraine and the Gaza Strip right now than we'd like to hear. But listen, nobody calls straight shots better than him, and no one's been proven more right on a lot of these geopolitical issues since all of these conflicts began, as as Colonel McGregor has as well. So always love catching up with him. We're going to catch up with the Biden administration right now and how they began to run their interference for the 46th president after the damning report came out last week, which said he doesn't have the mental capacity to stand trial in regards to his classified documents case. Now, Noah, I know we touched on this with a lot of breaking commentary, but the universe has had time to digest this over the weekend. And I think the responses that have come, you know, from both sides of the aisle, it's like nobody really knows what they want to do with Joe Biden in this. It's like you've got people like Troy Nels who said, like, fuck the 25th Amendment. I want this guy to run against Donald Trump. I want to see them debate. I want them to drag him out there on the campaign trail or don't. And I want his name on the ballot come November. Then you have people that are like, if Joe Biden can't stand trial, Joe Biden can't be the chief executive of the world. Therefore, he should have, you know, uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, who's the one that led this case as a cabinet member, would be the one to invoke and initiate the 25th Amendment to be used against him. And then you just have people that are like, stop hitting him. He's already dead. It's like nobody could figure out what they want to do with this. And it seems like any way you start to look into it and be like, yeah, that might be a good idea. None of them seem to be a good idea to, from my standpoint. You know, it's just, this is a disaster. This is the guy that has the nuclear coats. It's just wild because you look at what the news did to Donald Trump. Anything, whatever he did, he's automatically guilty. If he, if he slipped with his expensive leather shoes uh, going down a ramp and carefully, you know, held the railing, then he's he's weak and frail and he can't be he can't be the leader of the free world then literally people have deemed it legally that he is not able and i mean joe biden is not able to stand trial because he's not mentally competent correct and then the media just goes out and saying that he's bright and vibrant and he's in control of all of his faculties and then biden goes out and says there's nothing wrong with my memory it's fine it's like, okay, then go to jail, fucker. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with my memory. I called Mexico Egypt. <laughs> yeah, like, wh- okay, I agree with you. Go to jail, directly to jail. Believe it or not, jail. Mm. The House <clears throat> Oversight Committee, who has been in kind of just in standby mode since the special counsel was initiated as they'd like to provide equal opportunity oversight to the stuff that's going on with Donald Trump and what was being investigated into Joe Biden. They put out a post yesterday. We are giving the Justice Department and Merrick Garland until February 19th at 5 p.m. to produce the transcripts of President Joe Biden's interview with Special Counsel Robert Hur and other documents included in the report that may relate to our impeachment inquiry and overall investigation. Americans deserve transparency about President Biden's mental state and the mishandling of these classified documents. Now, I saw a couple of people who had jumped into the press over the course of the last few days, and they said they're asking for the transcripts of the special counsel report in its entirety, not just the blurbs that they gave out last week as part of their first issuance, because what they want to do is essentially be able to make the accusations without just saying it's commentary. When they said that like Joe Biden is like a nice person with like 
increasing mental decline, you, you begin to understand that, you know, there was a little targeted wording in there by the special counsel. They want the transcripts of all the interviews from start to finish, when they took breaks, who tried to answer for him. You know, a lot of these interviews with the special counsel had to take places in skiffs because they were presenting the evidence that Joe Biden had in his possession. Uh, who else was there? You know, was there people cutting him off? Was there people reminding him of dates, times, and instances? What did the ghostwriter who who is, you know, involved in his memoirs, what was he privy to? What did Joe Biden, I mean, part of the commentary that was released in the initial special report blurbs was that Joe Biden made a direct reference to saying like, oh, I don't remember, but uh, we got the classified stuff downstairs, so we'll look at that. I mean, right there is like, jail automatically as you alluded to noah but who knows what else is in there oh i would love to just be able to read those transcripts completely although who's making the transcript is it is it people trying to protect him or is it like an outside entity that has no uh, stake in the game so to speak it's going to be interesting to see if house republicans get these or or are they going to have to subpoena robert her's office it's it's just kind of incredible the way that this is shaking up and how fast the spin has been able to get around this. Now, while Joe Biden was canceling his pre-taped, not live, Super Bowl interview over the weekend, he was joining TikTok and, and doing questions and answers in like a poll-based, I guess, reel as his first post on the CCP-engulfed social media application. That's I thought what TikTok he, was bad. Yeah. Well, apparently not to the Biden administration. Now him and Kamala Harris have an official count on there. And Joe Biden did some stupid-ass little commercial where it's just like, Chiefs or Niners? Chiefs. Which one of the Kelsey brothers do you like? I like the mom. She makes, she makes good chocolate chip cookies. It was like the creepiest shit. Like, when you're trying to spin that Joe Biden is mentally competent, the first thing that they do is throw him up on social media and make him look like the one grandpa who nobody talks to at any of the functions. And every time the kids walk out, he's like, hey, come here, come here, come here, let me tell you something. And it was just awful. In addition to that, they And put, you throw him on the, the fucking Chinese spyware app that we should be encouraging people not to use, not, oh, the president, he's on TikTok, fucking let's do it. Social media for me, but not for thee, according to the Biden administration. In addition, Noah, he did put out a campaign-related commercial, which played, I think, right before the Super Bowl kicked off. It might have been, like, after the rendition of the Black National Anthem and the actual National Anthem. They had, like, a commercial break, and I think this one was in there. And believe it or not, someone thought it was a good idea in a heavily edited commercial to have Joe Biden talk about inflation. Let's hear it. The Super Bowl Sunday. If you're anything like me, you like to be surrounded by a snack or two while watching the big game. You know, when buying snacks for the game, you might have noticed one thing. Sports drinks bottles are smaller. Oh. Bag of chips has fewer chips. Oh. They're still charging it just as much. And as an ice cream lover, what makes me the most angry is that ice cream cartons have actually shrunk in size, but not in price. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. Some companies are trying to pull a fast one by shrinking the products little by little and hoping you won't notice. Oh. Give me a break. The American public is tired of being played for suckers. I'm calling on companies to put a stop to this. Let's make sure businesses do the right thing now. Fuck you. I hate you. I, so I, I've decimated the economy and businesses are stooping to whatever they can do to protect themselves and maybe make people think that the extra five ounces of whatever they're trying to buy 
isn't missing because the price is three times as high as it should be. Mm-hmm. And this guy's going to be like, we're going to make sure that they do the right thing. How about you do the right thing for the country? Let's start there and then see where that goes. Man, you know, there was a Wall Street Journal editorial that came out this weekend with some, I guess, leaked commentary from the office of the vice president, the border czar, the AI czar. And it said that she is ready, willing, and able to serve if need be and called upon. I don't know if that means as a potential top of the ticket or in her capacity as vice president right now. Well, it just means that she knew the results of everything prior to it happening because that was two days before his uh, competency was questioned, I think, right? Yeah, but they knew it was coming. Yeah, no, for sure. They they knew exactly what was going to be said. Now, I think, I know you'll have to agree with me, for a lot of people who proprietate Big Mike, Michelle Obama, getting out there, you know, Cash Patel is a huge fan of Hillary Clinton getting back in this thing for all the right reasons. (laughs) Yeah. I really don't think there's any way that they could take the first self-proclaimed African-American vice president and just say, like, hey, listen, we're going to go in a different direction than Joe, and you're not the person. Like, what message do you send to diversity, equity, and inclusion, the manager of that, in, in regards to kicking Kamala Harris off of a potential ticket where she's not the head of it in the next election? There's nothing wrong I with mean, there's, there. I there's, mean, there's DEI hires that are more competent than that woman mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very interesting to see how this is all going to shape up guys wherever you're listening to the show today whatever platform it's on hopefully it's apple make sure you're subscribed to the steak for breakfast podcast that means it's downloading to your electronic device helps us out big time in the suggestions the algorithms makes us more present when you look for political podcasts to see our lovely faces and podcast art there in addition social media twitter getter true social and instagram Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell, and never miss out on any of the great stuff we've got going on here on the show. In just like a few minutes, we're going to be sitting down with Nevada 3 House Representative candidate Elizabeth Hagelin again to get an update on her campaign. Now, some of the commentary throughout the weekend. And before we get to that, Noah, did you see John Stewart's back on The Daily Show? He's going to be the lead anchor on Monday nights only after a nearly decade-long hiatus from the program. Yeah, I think I saw something about that like last week. I watched the first episode and it was like John Stewart's a little bit smarter than the complete retards over at Comedy Central who are just shit libs. And mm-hmm. it was like every time I was getting pissed off on commentary he was making on Donald Trump, he would always go back to like shit on Biden harder. So I was like, um, I wanted to be mad, but then I chuckled a little. I was like, this is almost comedy. And it, it, it went back into the grain of how it used to go where Jon Stewart would be a more left-leaning comedy look at politics in the first show, and then Stephen Colbert would do the Colbert Report directly after and be like a comedic spin on Republican politics, and they would equally crap on both parties. It was almost that. Now, I know Jon Stewart has turned into like an unchained, unhinged, complete radical liberal progressive over the course of the last 10 years and since he left his position there on The Daily Show, but... If they can kind of stay in this thread, at least for some of the people that watch that type of programming, it wasn't that bad. Because I'll be honest with you, I never really thought that it was just proprieting information that killed only Donald Trump. I mean, and what I'm saying is that they did like a 10-minute monologue slash intro montage of like making fun of how old Joe Biden and Donald Trump are. And, you know, even though 
Joe Biden has a lot more decreased mental capacity than Donald Trump usually displays out in public and on the campaign trail. There's like, it was just kind of like the way that they spun it. You know, it's like every time they would make fun of Joe Biden, he's like, but Donald Trump's literally the same age. And then they would like play one of his flubs, but you know how it is. It's always going to be left leaning, but I just didn't think it was God awful. But Bill Maher had Bob Costas on. You know, Bob Costas has been a huge voice in the sports world. He's dabbled in politics with some of his interviews as well over the course of the year. And they had an interesting back and forth on how just this is going to shake down a lot of the there there. I mean, it's it's impossible right now to put another Democrat on the ticket. If they wanted Joe Biden to get out of there today, there's already state filing deadlines where we would have the primary and then the general election and whoever they decided to run instead of Joe Biden would not appear on the ticket. An impossibility for them to be able to win back the White House. However, once you get to the Democrat convention in a few months and, and what's going to go on there in Chicago, that is where they have the ability to take all of the primary delegates and the super delegates that they have in the Democrat-sided system and pick somebody else. Bill Maher alluded to this. Let's check it out. He not run on a promise not to run again, but he did run on a big hint. Yeah. He said, I see myself as a bridge right. that's collapsing. Yeah. Uh, no. But I see myself as a bridge. I read that as one term. Uh-huh. Okay. And I guess the question now is, is it too late? And I don't think it is, because I still think you can do it at the convention. I don't, I, I, and people have said to me, oh, that's ridiculous. They'll look like, they'll look like nothing. Nobody gives a fuck what you do at the convention. <laughs> They'd be thrilled if they did it the day before the election. What do you think about that? Nah. I mean, I, I, I think the only way that a lot of people are going to listen, and then your point before, you were about to get mad, and then he said something you agreed with. That's how you keep people engaged, and you keep people, you get the information out while shitting on their team, but giving them the little bait that they want on the other end. And you want to talk about the Democrats eating themselves, where Bill Maher made that point of saying, like, no one would give a shit. Actually, the entire country would take a big sigh of relief. If at the Democrat National Convention they did the old bait-and-switch with Joe Biden for somebody, Bob Costas went on to push back on that a little bit and saying, like, listen, all the Democrats do is say democracy's on the ballot, Donald Trump's a threat to democracy. Well, what are Democrats doing by continuing to run Joe Biden? Don't you think by opening up the door to allowing Donald Trump to beat him in the general election in November isn't a threat to democracy itself? Let's hear it. When it comes to Biden, this is like the truth that no one until very recently wants to say out loud. But my friends will tell you I've been saying it for four years. This is emperor's new clothes stuff. Joe Biden should have run on a firm promise that he would be a one-term president. The only reason he is president is that he's not Donald Trump. Then the Dems could have gotten a lot of people up in the bullpen and they could have sorted through those people. If Biden's hubris is such that he doesn't understand the best interests of his party and more important, his country, then he has to be shown the door, period. Because if Trump is a threat to democracy, and in many ways he is, so too are the Dems who are in danger of being as feckless as the Republicans have long been shameless if they're gonna send this guy out there. What do you think about that? I mean, it's like they couldn't pick which, oh, no, he's fine. He's mentally competent. He's still sharp. I mean, they, I saw so many montages on the conservative news this week where people said that, like, Joe Biden's always sharp. 
and prepared whenever he goes to these meetings. It was like those two words, sharp and prepared. Uh, it was like eight different Democrats over the course of the weekend. But then you have these guys who have a lot more pull with a wider audience being on, you know, cable and satellite and stuff like that, who are saying like, no, fuck this. The real threat of democracy is you leaving this old piece of shit on the ticket. What are we going to do about it? And it's like, we're starting to get into crisis mode because again, it's not like they can take November and move it to the other side of February in 2025. It's coming with a hard deadline, whether we like it, they like it or not. So Joe Biden had King Abdul of Jordan in yesterday. Up in, Abdul. Up, yeah, Abdul uh, in Washington, D.C. And they were talking about putting the clamps on Israel and having them ramp down their military operations in Gaza right now as everyone from the Biden administration is getting sick and tired of them just kind of mowing through as they're fighting as part of their counteroffensive to Hamas. And Joe Biden when it was his turn to be done talking and when he was passing the podium over to King Abdullah, just got a little weird in Joe Biden. Let's hear it. Let me start by welcoming his majesty, the King of Jordan. He's been a good friend. Abdullah, welcome back to the White House, man. Welcome back. And by the way, Barack's looking at you in the corner over there. And along with Queen Rihanna, who is uh, meeting with Jill now and the Queen and the Crown Prince Hussein. Where is the prince out there? I thought he was coming out. At any rate, Your Majesty, over to you. You know, and he called the King of Jordan man. Then he made a horrible joke, Noah. You heard him. Oh, yeah, you you got Barack over there hiding in the corner looking at you, too. And the King of Jordan looked over there. Barack Obama was not there. And then... When Joe Biden gave the podium to King Abdullah, made you look. Yeah, he got behind him on the right, and then he crossed behind him, and then the guy you heard some of that noise with the podium. They were putting in like a little step stool for him to stand on because King Abdullah is very short, uh, so he could be up on the podium correctly. And and Joe Biden like puts his hands on this guy's shoulder and walks back around him to the other side. And the guy who was putting the step stool down took Joe Biden by the side and led him back to where he originally started. I was like, no, you stay over there. There's an X on the floor. Look at it, old man. And then when they left, it was like Joe Biden turns away from the king when the king turns around to shake his hand and then looks back like, oh, he's all surprised, and he just puts his arm around him, and they walk into the room that's directly behind this post. It was awful It's, it's so awkward. It's so awkward. Everything he does is, like, the worst. It's, it's, it's elder abuse. Yeah. And, and there were a lot of people – who were saying that, you know, you think it's a joke about that Barack Obama in the basement? Yep, when the tracksuit with the earpiece is in the thing. I mean, Joe Biden made a really bad joke about it. When Barack Obama was at the White House a few weeks ago, he did purposely make a joke. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. You can't make this shit up. Wait, didn't he do that a while ago? Yeah, yeah. The last couple of times that they've been together, it's been like a back and forth joke between the both of them. And, yeah, it's just like the American people need to wake up and understand that this president is not in control. The only thing that's in control right now is his wife saying that he's going to continue to be the president, and it doesn't stop until she says uncle. I'm not talking about creepy uncle corn pop. (laughs) Last clip before we jump in with Nevada 3 candidate (laughs) Elizabeth Hageline because we're not touching on him too much today. Mr. Doesn't have the data himself, Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, Noah, I'm up for impeachment again this afternoon. We'll see if it passes. Was on the Sunday morning news circuit 
not talking about that or border security, but about Joe Biden's mental health. Let's hear it. More than a dozen Republican lawmakers are now calling for the 25th Amendment to be invoked just to give our viewers a sense of what that means. It basically would mean the cabinet would have the authority to start the process of trying to remove the president if he or she is deemed incapable of serving. What is your reaction to those calls? Has that ever been discussed? Kristen, um, uh, I don't engage in politics. I'm responsible for governing and following the president's uh, uh, agenda. Uh, which I scrupulously do. I have to tell oh. you, uh, I have met with the president many, many times say over sharp, the course of the past three years. I prepare intensely oh. for those meetings. I follow up intensely from those meetings oh. to make sure that I deliver the answers to the questions that he has posed. He is probing and detailed and focused on the mission. But as far as you know, the 25th Amendment has not been discussed. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Focus on the mission of just undermining and destroying the country. Yeah, you're right. How much do you actually bring to these meetings if you're Mayorkas and every time you go and somebody asks you a question, you're just like, um, I don't have the data on that, but uh, my office will get back to you by the end of the business day? No, he just writes a couple things on a napkin at Starbucks before he walks in after he just woke up and brushed his head. Do you think it's like a running joke? Where they're like, oh, I'd ask Ali, but we all know he doesn't have the data. Oh, and everybody starts laughing. Then <laughs> <laughs> they're like, fuck these American citizens. Because you know that's exactly what's going on. We are looking to change that thing, both legislatively and with who is passing Agenda 47 next year. That's why we're going to be jumping in with Nevada 3 congressional candidate Elizabeth Hagelin right now. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the program today, this big Tuesday edition of the State for Breakfast podcast, she's the candidate who's running in Nevada's third Congressional District looking to take her America First platform up to Capitol Hill next year. Elizabeth Helgeline, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me back. I love it. You guys are incredible. And your race to this point has been incredible as well. We are definitely tracking one of the biggest bellwethers out there in a state that we're looking to not only win congressional seats in in this upcoming election in November, but flip it red for Donald Trump as he's looking to take back the White House as well. Elizabeth, before we get into any of the key issues that are going on right now and a little bit of canvas of your race, why don't you tell us up to this point how the last couple of weeks on the campaign trail has been for you? I know we had the Nevada caucus. You were very heavily involved and busy with that. And then, of course, with that comes having Donald Trump in town. There was some speaking events and rallies and then, of course, the celebratory event afterwards. Oh, my goodness. That was time. You know, the Nevadans turned out for President Trump. I'll tell you, we had lines and lines for hours and and the people showed up so 
our weather, it's actually been super cold. People showed up with their winter hats and their coats and their gloves, and they did not mind standing in line for hours. It got dark, and they still remained in line. President Trump won. He he brought in over 99% of the vote for the caucus, uh, and it's it's just been incredible. Now, when you see the amount of energy that's been directed back into this race, you know, we've been tracking... Nevada very heavily since the 2022 midterm cycle. We've had several candidates that have come in and, in and out of the race, ones that have won, run for governor and Senate. Now we're focused in on some of these House seats. Since Joe Biden took office back in 2021, it has not been a fruitful experience for the people of Nevada. We've seen everything from you know major facets of the industry there, uh, the, the way that they have their natural resources negatively affected by the Biden administration. Obviously, the economy has been hit hard, education, health care, crime, you name it. Even the migrant crisis has negatively affected uh, people in Nevada. And then the gas prices, where they used to be not even in the top 25 for the highest gas prices in the nation. Now they're usually in the top five, if not the top 10 for the highest gas prices in the nation since Joe Biden took office. How big is it to see the amount of people who look like they're getting out for these events, who are reinvested in politics, are looking for and excited for candidates like you uh, coming off the heels of Donald Trump's big win in the caucus? Yeah, the people are definitely energized. President Trump, of course, brings them out. His policies have been absolutely amazing. And the people, they they know, they're knowledgeable, and we're living it every single day. You know, you said the fuel prices have, have increased, of course, but, but just recently here in Nevada, our gas prices to heat our homes has more than doubled. So the people are truly affected by the issues, and so they know people like me, people like President Trump, we're the ones that are actually going to get it done for the American people. And when it comes directly to your race right now, uh, you are in the thick of things. Why don't you let our listenership know when the primary is and and what some of the issues, many if not all of them, parallel uh, a lot of the things that Donald Trump campaigned on. Are you looking to bring as far as winning the Nevada three house seat and then taking that up to Capitol Hill? Because one of the things we love to condition our listenership on, Elizabeth, we know you know because we know that you and your husband listen to the show. Donald Trump's agenda doesn't get passed without America First House representatives up there. We're seeing a lot of things up on Capitol Hill, like the continuing resolutions. Even more current is the Senate bill that got passed for the foreign supplemental aid. And if we don't start changing the bodies up there on Capitol Hill and getting people who are going to vote to put the American people there first, we're going to continue to see the same things, even in an administration next year where a Republican takes back the White House. You're absolutely right. And I, I talk about that all of the time that we it's not just the Republicans that we get in, but it's the correct Republicans that we get. in. we're seeing that, like you just said, in the Senate, we had Republicans vote for this disastrous, horrible bill. Of course, we know it's going to be dead on arrival in the House. Uh, but that's why it's so crucial, especially in my seat. It's a pickup district, one that we need uh, now that we're such a slim majority, we have to keep our majority in the House uh, for that exact reason. And so the people, the, the issues that are important to the people are the economy. It is closing the southern border. Uh, you know, the House passed the Secure the Border Act almost a year ago, and the Senate still hasn't taken it up. But then they put forward a disastrous foreign aid bill uh, that puts Ukraine first. It's, it's disgusting. So you're right. We absolutely need the right candidates in office. And then we don't like to necessarily discuss tit-for-tat politics because we, we like to give people the real, you know, deal, story, and information of, of what's going on up on the Hill right now. 
But, you know, when you see people like long-term House Representative Jamie <laughs> Raskin, uh, who was especially proprieting across the Sunday morning news circuit this weekend, that he's hoping that Democrats are able to flip the House and get power back and and if a Republican is able to win the White House, especially if it's Donald Trump, they're going to have articles of impeachment ready on day one. It doesn't sound like, you know, that's the thing that you'd want to be campaigning on in regards to getting this country fixed and, and everything back on the right track, especially when it comes to the gas prices and, and what's going on with the economy right now, where the current administration tells everybody it's great when everybody's, you know, hundreds and and thousands of dollars in credit card debt and can't put food on their table. They're pulling their kids out of extracurricular activities and bills are just piling up. You had mentioned the gas prices, not only at the pump to get back and forth to work, but now it's even becoming too expensive to even heat your home in some instances. And when you see Democrats platform right now is one that talks about abortion, amnesty and impeachment. How is it what you're bringing to the table that seems to be resonating a lot more with people, especially in places like Nevada three? Yeah, because again, the people are just so educated. They're living it every single day and, and they're really looking at their TVs and, and listening to the radio and they're, they're, they're hearing uh, the Democrats push other uh, false narratives on the people when the people are actually living it. So uh, we have to actually start listening to the people uh, and being in touch with the people. That's uh, what I've always done. That's what I do. Um, and, and the Democrats really are out of touch with that. And, and you're right. We have to make sure that we push uh, we, we push and, and educate people that this could happen, that the Democrats really are, are trying to get the majority in the House. Uh, they're trying to maintain the majority in the Senate and they're trying to get the White House. And if that happens, more disastrous uh, things will happen in our country. And, and honestly, we can't afford that. No, we certainly can't. Now, what we want to be able to do is tell our listenership everything from both inside Nevada 3 and outside uh, to be able to help and support you. I want you to go down the rundown right now of, of dates of when you're going to be having the primary or caucus where you're uh, going to have the vote to get on the ticket in November. In addition to that, what people that live in Nevada 3 need to do right now to make sure that they're registered and ready to go when that happens? Yes. So the primary here is June 11th to vote for me, Elizabeth Helbling for Congress. Uh, I'll let you know, actually, we've since we've spoken, I've gotten the support of Congressman Matt Gates. I've gotten the endorsement of the Oil and Gas Workers Association, the endorsement of Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna, Congressman Corey Mills has endorsed us, Congressman or uh, U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville, Moms for America, Latinos United for Conservative Action. So we keep getting the support. So, we, but what we need are the the people to turn out and vote. So please show up on June 11th uh, and er, early vote too. We have that here. We need all of you to turn out and vote for for me, Elizabeth Helgling, for Congress on June 11th. Uh, you can go to my website, elizabeth4nevada.com. You know, and when you talk about uh, some of the endorsements, you just essentially rattled off a murderer's row of guests who are regularly here on Steak for Breakfast. We had all three of the Congress people that you just mentioned on the show in the last two weeks, and we just finalized to have Senator Tuberville back at the end of the month. You know, it's, it's really important because for uh, as small as a number as they have up on Capitol Hill now, it's the teamwork that's going to make the dream work come 2025. And, and if there's one thing that everyone from Matt Gates and Anna Paulina Luna all the way down to Senator Tuberville has reiterated is that they just don't have the numbers to push back on the establishment and squish votes in the Republican side of the caucus to be able to force these things back to America first. So 
when you are getting these endorsements and you see the voting record of these people who are endorsing you, it, it makes me a little bit more optimistic heading forward into this cycle that we are going to get some of the warriors up there that we need. Now, just a reminder for our, our listenership, is this is Elizabeth's second time on the show. If it's the first time you're hearing her, she does have an extensive resume, which includes time in, in the Nevada uh, government. So you want to tell our listenership a little bit about some of your experience? Yeah, so I served in the, the uh, Nevada State Senate. I'm the youngest female ever elected to the Nevada State Senate. I served on the Revenue Committee, the Commerce, Labor, and Energy Committee, and the Transportation Committee. I was uh, I received 100% rating by the American Conservative Union for the way I voted and received uh, great awards like Defender of Liberty uh, and Conservative of the Year for the, the way that I supported my district and the people of Nevada. So at my first rodeo, uh, I have proven that I do what I say I'm going to do, um, and I will do that again. And now on a national level, we'll, we'll be able to do that for, for people here in Nevada and across the country. Oh, that's so important. And then when you want to parlay that into uh, you know some of the other things we're talking about, let's do it directly related to your campaign. You don't have to live in the state of Nevada or even in Nevada 3 to be able to help assist and contribute to your campaign. Tell our listenership a little bit about right now, some of the biggest things you need between now and June. Yes, if you can um, help us with fundraising, uh, any dollar amount will help. You can go to elizabeth.com and donate. But also if you if you want to help further or in another way, you can also uh, start by making phone calls with the campaign. You do not have to live in Nevada uh, to be helping with phone calls into our district and to voters uh, to help us get the message out. Again, you can go to my website, elizabeth4nevada.com for more information about that, um, or you can contact me directly on uh, social media. And she will answer. I think one of the biggest things that uh, you know a lot of these candidates are looking for, doesn't matter what part of the United States you live in, don't send your money directly to the RNC. Donate directly to these campaigns that are going to make a difference in this upcoming election. Elizabeth, this has been awesome sitting down with you again today. We're going to get you in here at least one more time, if not more, before your June primary. You've already mentioned the website a couple of times. I'd like you to do it once more and then tell everybody where they could find you on social media. Yes, please go to my website, elizabeth4nevada.com. That's elizabeth4nevada.com. You can follow me on social media at elizabeth4nv. Absolutely fantastic. As it is, every time we sit down with her, she's the candidate looking to make Nevada 3 great again and take that show up to Capitol Hill next year. Elizabeth Hageling, thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks so much for having me. Talk to you soon. Guys, we're coming back with another all-new edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. So sit back, relax, and continue to allow us to change the way you consume your news.